stop doing individual evangelism in order to reach the reach the groups mm. and stop doing mass evangelism in order in order to reach groups uh, both of you both of those methodologies isolate from families and and friends welcome to the CDM podcast a production of contagious disciple making we exist to catalyze movement through coaching community and communication we created this podcast to help everyday Christians become world-changing disciple-makers. Welcome to the CDM Podcast. Like, share, five-star rate, and review this podcast. You can listen to our full premium content by becoming a $5 a month supporter on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash faithworks. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash faithworks. Or click the link in the description. To those of you who support this podcast, thank you. Your support helps us put tools in the hands of men and women like you who want to experience a disciple-making movement in their own neighborhood. Well, welcome, guys. Today, I'm Rebecca Ewing, and I'm here with David Watson and just really getting into various ways in which we've seen movement happen around the world and David's specific examples and that. How are you doing today, David? Doing well, thanks. Awesome. So, you know, today what we're going to be focusing on is reaching groups rather than individuals. You know, a lot of the, the Western society has become very individualistic. And so a lot of our mentalities have been very much on the individual. But if we want to see a movement, we have to think about reaching groups rather than individuals. Yeah, there's uh, two sayings we use quite regularly in our work is... Uh, Stop doing individual evangelism in order to reach the reach the groups, mm. and stop doing mass evangelism in order in order to reach groups. Uh, both of you, both of those methodologies isolate from families and and friends. Mm-hmm. So they, the mass evangelism is looking for a whole group of people to find the few that will come front and receive Christ. Mm-hmm. Individual evangelism is more targeted. Let's just find the people, individuals receive Christ and fail to realize that each individual is a doorway to a family. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, and a little controversially for some people, I, I feel that personal evangelism as we practice it today was probably introduced into into church work by by the by Satan than more than by God, mm. because the very the very notion that we will go into a family and win one person and lose the rest of the family because one person became a believer and they were isolated from their family or removed from their family, sometimes killed as a result of personal evangelism. Uh, those those are the things I began to think and say, wait a minute. Is that the way God wants us to do evangelism? Mm-hmm. Is that it, it'll win one and lose 10? Mm-hmm. That sounds like something that's good for Satan. That doesn't sound like something that's good for the kingdom. And, and the first time I had an experience with this personally, I was a, a new pastor. I'd moved in a community that was mixed Anglo and, and Hispanic. And, and we, had a, we had a couple of basketball uh, goals out in the parking lot at the church and kids were always out there playing and, Mm-hmm. And I met one of the kids, a Mexican kid, 16 years old, and started uh, talking to him. And over a period of uh, a few months, uh, he fell in love with Christ. And and then uh, 
like uh, I was taught to do, but in those days, I've really challenged him to be baptized and and make his profession of faith public through baptism. Mm-hmm. And he kept telling me, if I do that, I'm in trouble. And mm-hmm. and but I kept saying, this is your first step of obedience, and and really never talked to his family. Uh, mm-hmm. He so I baptized him. And that night he showed up at my house about midnight and he had been beaten to a pulp by his wow. father and uh, he had nowhere to go. He had been, he had been thrown out of the house by his father because he had mm-hmm. become a, an evangelical instead of a Catholic. And that really began to open my eyes at an early time in my ministry. I was, I was probably 25, 26 years old at that time. That is this really the kind of evangelism I needed to be doing and, in uh, areas that were heavily Catholic and 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 later heavily Buddhist, heavily Hindu, heavily Muslim, it, it didn't matter what the opposition religion was. The fact was is that individualized evangelism, the way that I had learned it in my church and the way that I'd learned it in my seminary, and had taught many many different seminars on personal evangelism. Mm-hmm. I've learned every method there was and and trained every method there was, and and continued to see through many years just really not very good success. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were looking at one out of 200 people coming to Christ, one out of 150 people coming to Christ that we did these evangelism systems with. And when I when we got to India and were expelled from India and, and had workers killed in India because of personal evangelism, it really made me think about, okay, is it God's plan for a person to come to Christ and be killed? And that, and that scares everyone else from ever talking about him or talking with someone about Christ. Mm-hmm. Is that God's plan? And I said, it can't be. So I, I began a, an in-depth prayer time, just, just uh, literally months of, of prayer time, just saying there's got to be a better way than what we've been doing. And in the course of that, I began to realize that uh, individuals are, are doorways to family. I mean, it was Andrew that told Peter, and Peter who, who really turned the, his, the world on, on its head as he, as he became a very effective uh, apostle. And, and yet it started with Jesus talking to Andrew and Andrew talking to Peter mm-hmm. and, and opening a doorway into a family that got him to a place that that gave him people that changed the world. And so I began to look at every single individual we were working with as, as a doorway to a community, a doorway to a family at the, at the least, but a doorway to a community as a whole. And that I had to have a message uh, that I think was biblical and I, I still think is biblical that takes people from, from not knowing God to falling in love with God to receiving Christ but at the same time, bringing their family along mm-hmm. in that journey. So it's not, so instead of, I mean, today, if I were working with Pablo, I would have said, Pablo, uh, here's something I want you to take to your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, read it together and talk about it and come back and tell me what they said. And that would happen all the way back when you started talking with him about Christ, not after he got the saved very and baptized. Very first time. 
Yeah. And that's, and that's the main, and that's where it really becomes the difference. It's not saying that we don't care. I think this is something people don't understand that that's why when you're saying that there's really not a big difference between mass evangelism and one-on-one personal evangelism. And because both of them are calling individuals out to be able to, to receive. And then from there, they're hoping to be able to reach, you know, the rest of that, them to reach the rest of their families. So the key difference is, is that we're, you're engaging the people as groups from the beginning, like before they're even getting baptized and, and making professions of faith and stuff from the beginning, discipling the family as a whole or discipling the group as a whole. And that's whether we're doing it by radio or by or by podcast or by other methods that we use. We, we want to engage communities, uh, communities of lost people, communities as families, communities sometimes as dorms in a, in a university. Mm-hmm. It's, it, the target audience is not an individual. The target audience is the entire community. And that's what Jesus said. He said, I want you to go to the villages I'm about to visit and find the person of peace. And when you find him, stay with him. And the, the implication is in that household, household, they're staying yeah. with a household, a family. Mm-hmm. And then when you look in Paul's work, particularly if you look at the greetings in Romans, it says, greet such and such household. Mm-hmm. And it's over and over, household, 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 household. So the gospel in the first century seemed to move from household to household. Were there personal evangelism moments? There certainly is. And I I still have personal evangelism moments. I'm traveling. I have no further contact with a person. Mm -hmm. I may move to a place, but I'm leaving that person with a Bible. I'm leaving that person with a list of study verses that they can can go to. I've even been trying to get uh, some of the publishing companies to let me publish a Discovery Bible Study Bible. Mm-hmm. So that someone could find this Bible and open to the first page and tell them to go to this page and read the red, go to this page, read the yellow, mm-hmm. and, and just take them all the way through uh, who, who God is. And that's what we do. And that's what we train people to do is that there, there is a, a series of steps we take. The first is, is getting access to, to people. Mm-hmm. And that can be personal access, it can be ministry access, it can be aid access, it can be hospitals and war zone access. It's getting that access and meeting people. And that's that's that first step that we all work through. And is often our most awkward step is how do we get to know people? So yes, David, you're you're talking obviously about how this is going to change how we spend time with lost people and how we engage a community is this idea of trying to gauge a group rather than just one person. Yeah, I, and I've taught this all over the world. And uh, one of the best examples here in the States was a pastor of a mega church who started a golfing, golf club. And uh, he, would, he would gather uh, 16 people together to play golf. Mm-hmm. And so they would, meet, they would meet twice a week to play golf together. But the qualification to be there was you couldn't be a Christian. So he just, he just, <laughs> he just, uh, and that was his qualification. He didn't say you can't be a Christian and be here, but he just wouldn't let Christians in. He just let lost people into his club. <laughs> and then over the next, uh, next year, he would end up leading all those men and their families to Christ mm-hmm. through that relationship of playing golf and 
and having the, you know, the competitiveness during the course of the week. But even in that particular instance, you would need to have, while he's playing golf with probably some of the men or maybe a couple of the women of a particular family. No women, to, all men. Okay. Well, I was going to say, what? <laughs> I didn't want to exclude the women just in case there was, there were any, but you know, most likely the men of the different family, but you know, obviously there had to be a bridge between them and then, you know, their families coming along. Oh yeah. And, and the bridge was natural. Uh, one is they get to know each other quite well when you're spending uh, three or four hours twice a week with people. Mm-hmm. and and getting to know them and and going out in other social events as a result of that from from that those kind of things you start meeting the family wives start meeting wives you know you start getting your kids together just all kinds of things start start growing around that but and I, don't, and the, I believe that, however, that a lot of people don't think about that nowadays. They think that I'm going to use this one thing to and within of itself to spend time with lost people like, hey, I'm talking with these men at the at the golf club without realizing it's supposed to be now a door to start meeting the families, to start meeting the wives, to hang out with them outside of the golf club. Yeah, and even when it doesn't seem to be developing, I will have conversations like, you and I are becoming friends, aren't we? You go, well, yeah, I think so. Well, shouldn't shouldn't we shouldn't we meet our families together? Mm-hmm. Just say we're friends, you know. Why would we want not want to include our families in this friendship relationship? Exactly. And all of a sudden, you move from one to sometimes 12, 14 people in a in an extended family in some cultures. But even here in the U.S., you can you can move to three or four other people in the family, and come to a place where you're having spiritual conversations, not just with one person, but with multiple people. And the progression of the process, people think, well, we whip out our Bibles and we whip out our charts and we start studying the Bible. That's not what we do. Right, right. We train our people, say, look, the the only way you get permission to to speak about the word is if, if people give you that permission. Mm-hmm. And the way they give you that permission is by asking questions. So I train people, say, look, you say in the conversation for the day, you say, you know, I learned something interesting about God this morning. Mm-hmm. That's assuming you're in the Bible in the morning, but. For me, that's that's something that's every day. Uh, I I say I've learned something interesting about God, and then I don't say out of the word because mm-hmm. if I keep talking, I'm intruding. Mm-hmm. But if I stop, and this, they come back later, well, well, what did you learn? And then I can tell them what I learned, and say, why don't you talk that over with your family and friends and see what they think about that. Mm-hmm. And in a workplace, you can actually spread to be the, the, the what we'd call water cooler conversation throughout a, throughout a workplace. We went in, in one business up in Kansas City. We went, I saw a team that I trained go from just people working in a, in a huge company to having discovery Bible studies throughout the company. And it was all, it was all around this method of getting people to ask you the questions. Rather than and and when people ask you a question, they're giving you permission to give an answer, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the answer may be more in depth than they than they thought it would be, 
but it's still it's permission and they they're pretty obligated to listen to it unless there's some reason for <laughs> once they've given you permission to do so exactly and you know what i and this is one of the re- ways that is so different than personal evangelism because uh, a, a lot of times the personal evangelism is all about how can i cram a gospel presentation into this conversation because my goal is to give them that presentation so they can receive Christ here in this moment, perhaps. And But now since we're trying to engage an entire family, that we're trying to get to this place where we're trying to get to get to groups of people and do it through a process of discovery, our, when we get a moment to speak about something spiritual, we're not. it's not a presentation. It's now something we've learned from God is a story from the Bible, or it's something that has to directly deal with what we're talking about. And not only that, we see an example of that in the Bible as, as Jesus made his disciples. It was probably close to three years before the disciples said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Mm-hmm. And that was while he was walking on the road to Capernaum. And, and, they, and he asked them, who, who do men say I am? Well, you're, you're John the Baptist, you're, you're one of the prophets. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. says, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered the question for the group. You're, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. We've been waiting for that, that whole understanding and, and Judaism at that time. And, and he'd been walking with him. They'd seen his miracles. They'd heard his teaching. They'd heard his preaching. They've heard his, they've heard his arguments with, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They'd heard all of that, and he'd had discussions with them outside of those meetings, telling them this is what happened, this is why it happened. And but it took them almost three years before they said, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God," mm-hmm. as what as what is reported in in uh, in Scripture. And we seem to think that that Jesus would pop into people's lives and, and they would be turned upside down. And sometimes that happened. The woman at the well was one of those. But he didn't just pop in and pop out. He went into the city she lived right, in with. And continued to teach and show what, you know, more. There's more and, to this. And we don't, know, we don't know how long that time period was. Mm-hmm. And, and not only that, that was an enemy city. It was, you know, that was... That was part of the, I mean, his disciples probably didn't even want to walk through there because the the Jews of that day would walk around Samaria, even though it was closer to walk through Samaria to other parts of Israel. They would walk around it so they wouldn't be contaminated by the soil of the, of the, of the Samaritans. And the whole process of living with people and working with people is is part of Jan and I've had people live with us who lots of people lived with us over the years who were lost that the the process of finding God was a process of being in our family for a period of time I mean we've got a person now's been in our home for a year mm-hmm. and he's still very resistant to the gospel yet he's mm-hmm. not resistant to us he's just resistant to the gospel and we just keep waiting until he asks the question he he made a statement recently that uh our, our house was peaceful. Mm-hmm. And, and he, and I said, well, what makes you think that's why we're peaceful? And he says, it's, you're just good people. Mm-hmm. Why do you think we're good people? Well, you just are, you were raised in good families. I said, well, maybe not. Uh, not something, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Don't think but this is once just we, every time we start talking opinion. about that, you know, he kind of veers away from it because he he's, He's had so many Bible thumpers come after mm-hmm. 
that he's very good. He has very good mechanisms for disengaging and moving away from anything that's moving toward what he thinks is is someone trying to convert him to Christianity. Well, and, and that's the thing that I think that is, you know, a key. Again, we we are we've been so programmed to hop in there and give the presentation that it's hard for us to even see. Like that's why we we try to tell stories from the Bible. Because our goal is no longer to just get them to the foot of the cross and to say a prayer because of our conversations. Our goal is now to get them to be reading the Bible in which they'll be able to see these things. So really, it's more like, what can I say that would interest them in reading the Bible and, and exploring more? Thanks for listening to the CDM podcast. To hear part two, become a supporter on our Patreon page. You can find the link in the description. For coaching or other resources, connect with us at ContagiousDiscipleMaking.com.